0: They always seek to demonize the most innocuous term. Like, who doesn't want to be awake?
1: So welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Stuck with Damian Young, the show where our third eye stays open. or fourth eye, too, because niggas wear glasses. So the word woke is just the latest term to repurposed by American racists who have a long and destructive history of attempting to rewrite history so that white people are always on the right side of it. And today I'm joined by Michael Herriot, author of the instant New York Times bestseller, Black AF History, to talk about this, and also just the very real material danger of a Black American author telling the truth about white people. And then Morgan, the producer, comes back again as we ponder whether the new revelations about Will and Jada's separation put the infamous Oscar slap in a different context, all right, y'all, let's get it. Michael Harriet is a columnist at the Grio and the author of the instant New York Times bestseller Black AF History. Michael, what's good, man? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. I mean, we were talking offline about that hoodie. You know, when people see the social video of this, they will get a chance to see the hoodie that I'm looking at right now, which is a black and yellow hoodie with the Wu-Tang insignia over the American flag. Well, it's superimposed on the flag where the stars would be. Disclosure, back when I was in high school, I wasn't just into the woo. I felt like I was in the woo. You know what I mean? Like I had like the fisherman caps, the fatigues, the fucking Clark Wallabies. You know, I used to go to the Army Navy store and buy up everything there. I used to get all the woo wear. I wasn't just in the, I was in the killer army, sons of man. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, Black Knights of the North Star, grave diggers. Like I could go down the line, Shaheem. And so seeing the woo hoodie just brings joy to my heart. So thank you for that.
0: Were you trying to chart a path? Because I think everybody did this when they were young. Chart a path where you could somehow become an actual member of the Wu-Tang Clan. Like, like maybe they have open auditions or they might hear my demo tape and like, you know what? He'd make a good Wu member. I feel like I am like
1: in that 10% of niggas who never wanted to be a rapper. (laughs) Right? That was never an aspiration of mine, which is crazy because... As much as I've been to rap and obviously in the writing, but rapping was just never an aspiration of mine at all. Not even like jokingly. Like the hoop thing was, obviously, but rapping, no. So I was fine with just, you know what I mean? I'll, I'll listen to the woo. I just want y'all to continue to produce music, and I want you to continue to use RZA as the executive producer, <laughs> And and boom.
0: I was in the 90% of people who was trying to figure out how I could become a rapper, but Again, I was probably one of the 10% of people who knew I was never going to play professional sports, so <laughs> I think it all equals out.
1: Yeah. That's nigga math right there. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? We just did a nigga math problem. <laughs> so, you recently were in New York City um, to be part of, of like an Ideas Festival at the Apollo Theater, right? Yeah. And you were on stage I think with Nicole, Nicole Hannah-Jones, even Kendi Tanasi Coates. Was Tanasi part of your panel?
0: He wasn't part of my panel, but he was the organizer.
1: Okay. So you had Nicole, you had Ibram,
0: you, who else? Jelani Cobb and Yabba Blay. And what was your particular panel about, again? It was about wokeness and, like, the consternation and the opposition to this thing called wokeness. And basically, we just talked about the title, I think, was Why Does Wokeness Upset You? So that's (laughs) basically what the conversation was about.
1: Well... Michael, as someone who has pretty much been at white people's throats (laughs) for about the past decade, (laughs) publicly, at least, how do you answer that question?
0: First of all, there's not like a new movement against wokeness as part of this long movement where, like, I guess if Martin Luther King was alive today, he'd be considered woke, right? They call the woke people the same thing. Like they say it's communist. Same thing they call Martin Luther King, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Same thing they called Malcolm X and the Black Panthers and everybody. So, you know, it's just a new name that white people came up with for the same movement that they've started since we were emancipated from slavery, Um, whether it was anti-lynching or abolition, even before the end of enslavement. It's always been some version of wokeness that white people were clutching their pearls at and trying to eliminate. So. I don't know, because like it's hard to really try to figure out white people um, for me. <laughs> um, and so I don't try. I think about the consequences of their actions and the result of their actions. Mm-hmm. But like delving into the minds of white people to figure out the root cause is something that is probably beyond my uh, pay grade and my ability to do. And to your point, you know, Woke, this is just the latest iteration of words that have been
1: twisted and reconfigured, but also a sentiment that has been twisted and reconfigured. Any sort of progressive movement throughout American history has been fought against. Yeah. And fought with violence, not just words, but with violence, with bloodshed. You know what I mean? And this progressive movement today is being fought with words and also with violence, right? And it's funny, part of the violence is in trying to repurpose language yeah and describe something which is just people trying to be more aware more conscious more empathetic you know what i mean more mindful of history more mindful of how your actions affect other people and trying to repurpose that as something that is hurtful something that's harmful something that doesn't need to be in schools you know what i mean something that is actually destructive right You know we were both in college in the 90s and you know woke was a term that was used even then and woke at that time was used to describe people who were like aggressively conscious almost like a tongue-in-cheek like stay woke like oh yeah that nigga's woke You know what I mean? And it was an intra-community, an interracial term. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it wasn't necessarily describing someone as being like a a bad thing, but like, okay, this person's a little extra.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? It was levels. It was like you were, first of all, you were conscious. Mm -hmm. And then above conscious, you were woke. Yeah. And then, like, after woke, then you probably, like, use your third eye. You know, you were careful to make sure that your food was alkaline. or Was it too much alkaline or <laughs> not enough alkaline? I don't even know what
1: alkaline means. I, I just know that having too much, or not enough of it, was, like, the worst
0: possible thing. Yeah, it'll throw off your third eye, man. Like, it'll make your third eye shut. Yeah, when I think of alkaline, I think of batteries. But, you know— What's interesting about those, like, how they co-opt those terms is that they always seek to demonize the most innocuous term. Like, who doesn't want to be awake? Who doesn't want to be, <laughs> like, like even, like, they get mad at Black Lives Matter, civil rights. Not, you know, we don't want all this stuff, like, we don't want to hurt you, just, like, we just want y'all to be civil. And it's always the most innocuous terms, what makes you know that... Like There's no kind of word that we could come up or description that we could come up for the movement to exist in this space that we call America that wouldn't be demonized. I don't even know why we try to explain what woke means or what Black Lives Matter means or what civil rights mean, because it's going to be demonized no matter how innocuous it is. Like, there's going to be one day an alive movement and the white people are going to be against the why we got these black people starting this alive movement. I am anti-alive. And so (laughs) we should just stop trying to kind of explain it to white people, because if we can't be awake, if we can't be woke, if we can't say that our lives actually matter, I don't even know what we're even doing here.
1: Yeah, it's the bare minimum. I mean, you're asking for civility. Be alive. (laughs) And to be awake
0: (laughs) Right Those are like Bare minimum Nah bro We can't do that Why y'all asking for so much (laughs) Right That's I mean We gonna try But that's That's a real big ask for y'all Yeah In that zone That's
1: above Like okay So you have Conscious Then you have woke Then you have third eye And I think that Can be called The Kyrie zone Now I think going forward
0: That's just just The Kyrie zone yeah, I think this is called the Kyrie. I love it too, man. Like a few years ago, like, uh, well, some people don't know that I am really into poetry. And like a few years ago, when that, remember when Kyrie said, because everybody remembers when Kyrie was kind of tweeting about the Hebrew Israelites, but people seem to forget. Remember when he said, well, how y'all know the earth is round? Of course, they call him World Be flat That was his nickname for a bit. <laughs> Yeah. And I wrote this poem for the National Poetry Slam. It's probably still on the internet somewhere about like, what if maybe the world is flat? I mean, if you can't be awake, then how do you know? See, that's what you woke people started, this round earth movement that's uh, fooled us (laughs) into believing that the earth ain't shaped like a dinner plate. And the thing is, Kyrie is not the only
1: NBA player, not the only NBA star who has, you know, played around with the earth's lack of curvature and has brought that to the public. Yeah, You know what I mean? There's a guy, I won't say his name, but he wears number 30, plays out in the Bay Area. Pretty popular guy who also-
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> was suspicious of how the earth is. We living on a CD on Guy's CD case. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: getting back to the woke thing, and also congratulations, you know, your book, Black AF History. Now, should people say ass fuck
0: or just AF? I say it both ways sometimes, um, depending on, like, how old the people are who are around me, because uh, I had to explain to my mother-in-law what AF meant. (laughs) So, you know, first I tried to explain it in layman's terms, and then I was like, it means ass, F-U, blank K. Mm -hmm. I can't even spell it. So I say it both ways. It just depends on the audience who I'm talking to.
1: I was wearing a black-as-fuck T-shirt in the airport, which are T-shirts that you started selling, right, back in, like, what, 2016, maybe 2015, 2016? Yeah. And I bought one, and I was wearing one of them in the airport. This was back in, like, 2017. White man sees me, and it's like, oh, is, is that, like, for, the like, the black Air Force? <laughs>
0: Hey, that's what I would tell white people that it meant, right? Yeah, I was in the uh, Black Air Force. (laughs) It's a special program that recruits from HBCUs to get people to more black officers in the Air Force.
1: I didn't keep the jig up. I told him he as black as fuck. And he he looked at me. It's like, oh. And then that was it. That was the end of the conversation. He just said, oh. And then I I went to my gate,
0: and he—I don't know what he did. But, yeah, that was it. Well, at least he didn't say, well— if a white person said they were white AF, then how would that make you feel? And I was like, like, he's white as fuck. <laughs> so, yeah, at least you got the least troubling part of it. You know, and again, you're
1: both instant New York Times bestseller. So congratulations <laughs> on that, <laughs> right? And so this is something that I've been curious about with you. And we've talked about a lot of things through the years, but I don't know if I've had this conversation with you before about... OK, so you famously have these long threads on Twitter, which, you know, some of them go pretty viral. Your book is doing pretty well. And most of the people who retweet these threads, and I'm assuming most of the people who bought your book, although there aren't any, like, sales numbers I can look at right now, but knowing how the industry works, we could presume that most of the people who bought your book are probably white. Yeah. Right. And most of the people who retweet your threads, you know, in your threads are going out white supremacy, going out white people, but these are white people who are saying, yeah, this is that good shit right here. This is the shit that we need to be spread spreading, retweeting, whatever. And so for someone who speaks so unapologetically about race, about whiteness, about racism in your work, how do you feel about having so many white
0: fans also? Well, you know this, right? Yeah. So if white people like it, You sometimes question yourself, like, wait, wait, what am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. But, you know, behind the scenes, you always get as much hate as you get as much public love, right? Yeah. You know, white people, a lot of times, surprise, they aren't as as public and as vociferous about their hate as they are about the things that they agree with. And so I kind of balance it with the hate mail and the hate DMs and the people in my uh, email and in my DMs calling me the N-word that balances it out. But the other thing is, right, you also know that it's still a small percentage of white people who are even agreeing with you, right? Like, if it's all of the white people who agree with me, it's still a a tiny bit of the percentage. So in a sense, you know, I kind of know that if you're following me on Twitter because of the way the algorithm works— you're preaching to the choir anyway. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you see a tweet of mine or a thread of mine, I assume that you're following me and I assume that you probably agree with me anyway. So that eases the consternation about, you know, am I saying the wrong thing if white people like it? Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, if you do anything in America, no matter how black it is, you realize that, you know, for it to be successful, if it, goes beyond your idea of success, it's probably because, you know, white people are buying it, whether it's a hip-hop group or uh, music or a TV show. Mm -hmm. If it pops beyond black people, it's because white people are buying it. And you spoke to a few anxieties that I've had, still have, you know, in some capacity.
1: The first one is, you know, something you mentioned. It's like, well, you know, is my work as radical as I think it is if so many white people are loving it? Right. And now I don't just talk about race. I have other, you know, I talk about other things, anxiety, self-consciousness, basketball, sex, whatever that I'm talking about. Right. And I know I have fans based off of that too. But then there's like the race stuff, which I think when I was at the root, even going back when I was still writing on VSB more regularly, I had more of that content just, you know, coming out, coming out week after week and day after day, actually. And I would always wonder, it's like, well, if saying, is this doing what I want it to do, if it's getting this response? You know, at the same time, it's like, well, there are people who just appreciate the writing and the humor, because it's not just, you know, oh, white supremacy is fucked up in a blog. Like, there's jokes in it, there's language in it, there's analogy, there's storytelling, there's all of that, right? And you can appreciate all of that and also appreciate the underlying, you know, premise. But that was an anxiety, right? And also too, you know, I'm gonna keep it a buck. You spoke about some of the hate, right? And if you do this for a living, you have to develop elephant skin because that's gonna come. Like you're gonna get people calling you niggered, you're gonna get hate mail, you're gonna get messages. That's just par for the course, right? But as you know, I got doxxed a couple years back yeah. and that kind of flipped it because it's not just online. Now it's like, oh shit, these motherfuckers know where I live. And that changed things a bit. You know what I mean? Now, I'm curious if you've had any experience with that part of it. Like, in terms of, like, you know what? Yeah, online this, words that, whatever, I don't give a fuck. But actual feeling or actually being cognizant of, like, an actual material physical threat. And it also should be stated, too, that we live in different parts of the country. And that matters, too.
0: Yeah, so I live around the real white people. Like, the white people... That people see on TV wearing the Trump shirts and the "Make America Great Again" stuff. I live around them, like it's like we think of it in theory as like these little pockets that are scattered around America. But I live around like where most of the white people are like that. I used to live in Alabama until a couple of years ago. Just moved to rural Florida. Now I live in a, a majority black well, both were majority black towns, but now I live really just like, 80% black, all black people around me. But that threat is real, man. I've seen it. Um, just yesterday, a security guy for another black writer pulled me aside and was like, hey, you just be walking around like that? <laughs> and I was like, it made me think, yeah. And I've, I've been places, for instance, I uh, on my book tour, I was uh, in St. Louis And a black police officer pulled me aside and was like, hey, uh, you know, just so we know, we had like a credible threat from, you know, one of the extremist groups in town. And so there are like undercover people in the audience just because we know they're here looking for you. So I've had those threats. I don't know what to do with them. Like, I don't know, can you have enough security to make yourself white people proof? I don't know if you can do that. Um, I take the necessary precautions. One of the lucky things about me is, like, my children are adults now and kind of don't live with me. Mm -hmm. So I'm not burdened with that. But it's always a concern. But in a sense, it's kind of like a heightened version of the concern that all of us live with, like, existing in America. Mm -hmm. And the other thing about that, going back to what you said earlier about that, like, white people accepting you, one of the things I always am cognizant of is, like, the people who think, for instance, like, when you question, am, are you radical enough, sometimes the reason you kind of are promoted even by white people is because they can say, hey, here's the radical black guy that I agree with. I don't have to do shit. I just can retweet a radical black guy, mm-hmm. and it justifies me, you know— not doing anything, right? Like, this is my safety pin. I'm a lot of white people's safety pin because we talk unapologetically. So I don't know, you know, what I could do. I'm not under the assumption that I'm actually convincing white people to change. And I don't know what I could do to stop white people from doing the things that white people have done since the beginning of America. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all that.
1: Because, it. it I mean, it's a part of, of this work where, you can't pretend that it doesn't exist. And it's like, well, if you know that it exists, then it's like, okay, so do you let it affect your work? That Does it have even like a subconscious effect on what you write, what you say, how you move, how you exist in the world? And, you know, I, I will say that for like the first few months after the docs or whatever, it did have an effect on me. If I went back and read some of my stuff, I think that I was writing the same way. But I think I was thinking about it differently. And this had happened like right after they had stormed the Capitol. So I'm like, these motherfuckers (laughs) do anything. (laughs) I mean? And that part of it did get to me. I'm not going to pretend like it didn't. And so I guess for you, has getting that sort of attention had any effect on how you feel about your work and on your work, on the work that you
0: produce? I think anybody would be lying if they'll say it didn't make them consider how they present themselves and their ideas. But first of all, so I was kind of homeschooled until I was almost a teenager and, you know, lived in a Black community. So I never learned that subconscious deference to whiteness that a lot of people have. So I generally don't know how to do it. And you know this, like, I don't want to say it's hard, like being a janitor, or working in a factory. But writing is not easy, right? And then to add another layer of trying to figure out what white people would like would make it even easier. The easiest thing for me is because I don't have to center white people in what I write. My mom used to say this thing, right? Like, it's easy if you just do what's right. Like, you don't have to consider all the other nuances and the shades of gray if you just always default to, I'm going to just do what's right. And I think that's what I, I generally defer to. The easiest thing to do is just to say what's right and let the consequences fall where they may. So in a sense, I'm choosing the easiest route by not deferring to whiteness. Well, I think the two easiest
1: routes are to do what's right and then to take the Jason Whitlock path and do what's white, <laughs> right? I feel like those are the two.
0: <laughs> those are the two easy places to go. <laughs> but even when you do what, like what Whitlock does, though, you still gotta be chose, right? Like, so here's a question, you know? I've always thought about who are Jason Whitlock's fans, because like I don't think that white people like Jason Whitlock. Like they're not thinking of him as a a really interesting thinker, right? I think that. Most of the people who listen to Jason Whitlock, even though they disagree with him, like who he makes news with and who why he's retweeted and gets on social media so often, it's because black people are saying, isn't he stupid, not white people saying, isn't he smart, right? And so Jason Whitlock might have a bigger black audience than I have. Right, <laughs> it, they might be just hate watching
1: him. It's they hate listen, they hate watch, the right. hate listen. Yeah.
0: But when you look at, for instance, who retweets Jason Whitlock, it's probably a bigger percentage of black people than who are retweeting me. Mm. He exists to cause havoc and frenzy among black people, not to like enlighten white people or to present an opposite point of view. He's like he's a chaos agent. <laughs> he's literally an op, like literally. An op, yeah, he's the definition of an op. What well, I <laughs> called him, <laughs> I called him a, a oxpecker once, because oxpecker is this little bird that hangs on the back of a hippo or a dangerous animal, but the animals don't shoo him away because the oxpecker eats ticks. Mm-hmm. So he's an oxpecker on the back of white people who's just eating the ticks, so he makes them feel more comfortable. But he's not an enemy. To the other birds or the other things. He's just a friend of the hippopotamus. And like, I'd rather be uh, whatever I am than an oxpecker. <laughs> Michael Harriet,
1: thank you for coming through. Black AF history, black as fuck history, however you want to pronounce it, is in stores. Please go cop it, go buy it. Did a tremendous thing and reimagine. I won't even say reimagining history because reimagining makes it seem like you know, you're presenting an alternative history when you're actually just like, oh, this is the truth. This isn't a reimagination. This is just almost a reinterpretation of things that have been interpreted, have been fed to us, have been taught to us. But like, this is actually what happened and why it happened. Exactly. All right. Thanks again, Mike. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, no doubt. Next, dear Damon, with Morgan, the producer. But first, Damon hates. Okay, so a couple of weeks ago, I was recording a show with Jane Denby from Coast switch and we were in the middle of recording and I get a really hard knock on my door. You know what I mean? And it's one of those knocks where it's like, yo, is this an emergency? Do I need to move my car? Is it the motherfucking police? So I go down to see who's at my door and it's the constable. And they were there to deliver a warrant for me. Now, it wasn't for like a criminal charge. It's because of a traffic thing that happened last year. And I guess the citation I didn't pay it or got lost in the mail or something. And so I have to go through this whole process of like paying the citation, pleading not guilty. I made an illegal left turn. Okay, so that's what happened. But this isn't about that. Motherfucker came to my door with a gun. Now he didn't have the gun drawn, right? Didn't have anything like that, but it was holstered. And it's just like to tell someone about a traffic violation, you really need to have someone pounding on the door and also someone armed who has just been pounding on your door. So let's say I'm in a bad mood. Let's say I come downstairs, I'm like, yo, who the fuck is pounding on my door? And now you got this man with a gun, you know, who is serving me because of some traffic shit. And now who knows what the fuck could possibly happen as a result of this, right? And it's just one of those things when we talk about how guns are everywhere in America and the proliferation of guns and how we own more guns per capita than anywhere else in the world, are fucking police and not just police but the people who are like supplemental police i don't even know what a constable does right all these people are armed to the teeth too there should not be a person with a gun who is doing this interaction you're just giving me a citation you're just letting me know about a ticket or whatever that i didn't pay for a year ago whatever fine why do does someone with a gun need to come to my door and fucking knock on my door? This nigga knocked on my door like someone with a gun. Right now he was pleasant, but still. And again, it's just one of those situations where I think we just take it for granted that police, you know, police are going to have guns and people have guns, and it's like I don't know what the solution is. You know what I mean? Because as long as there are so many people with guns. I can actually see a justification for why police feel like they need to have guns because they don't know if someone is armed or not. But it still is just a fucked up thing and just one of the many fucked up things about living, about existing and about trying to survive in this fucked up country. Morgan, the producer, is obviously one of the producers on the show. She is also a gossip evangelist. Um, and we, we both want to spread the gospel of gossip. Morgan, what's good? Hello. Do people recognize you as Morgan, the producer, in the street yet? Are people like, oh, that, that's Morgan, the producer?
2: No, nobody recognizes me off of my face, um, but people do recognize me, recognize my voice.
1: So they hear you coming? Yeah. Okay.
2: Which I don't know if that's, you know, positive or what. I think I have a very pitchy voice, and then we have this Appalachian, like, accent. So it's like, okay. I think
1: (laughs) you have a great voice for radio, which is not a compliment, usually.
2: A great face for radio is, like, calling me ugly.
1: Okay, great face for radio. And the thing is... You look different a lot. So Mm -hmm. people might have like a certain image of how you're going to look. And then they see you in person. It's like, this is a different person. This isn't Morgan the producer. So that could be happening too. Plus now you you got the new glasses. You got the new prescription.
2: I do have new glasses.
1: Okay. And where'd you get those?
2: I got these uh, from Heidi Optics. In downtown, they have, like, a lot of really cool frames. If you're a person who wears glasses, like, I I don't wear contacts, so this is my statement.
1: I tried putting contacts in um, about 20 years ago. It was just too much of an ordeal. Mm -hmm. Some people have things like, okay, go to the dentist. I have no problem with people doing stuff on my teeth, working on them, drilling, scraping, whatever. That's not a thing for me. But eyes... Like, you get near my eyes, I'm ready to punch the shit out of you. Yeah. Like, I'm blinking, I'm flinching. Like, I, And so putting contacts in just never really was a thing for me.
2: Yeah. No, I'm terrible at the eye doctor. And um, I preface them with the fact that I am, you know, like, you can't put drops in my eyes. Nah. Um, I will blink. Yeah. I also, like, Googled when I was uh, young, like, eye disease or something. And just from, like, I'm good so, yeah, I keep my hands out of my eyes. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> all right. Ryan, the producer, what do we got going this week? Dear Damon, given the recent Jada Pinkett revelations about her relationship with Will Smith, does your perspective of the infamous Chris Rock Oscars slap change at
2: all? I keep my hands out of my eyes, but I uh, <laughs> keep my nose
1: all up <laughs> in their business. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> This is a perfect question, I think, for us, because, okay, I I think that we talked about this earlier today is like, Mm. there are two types of people in the world, right? People who pretend they're not interested in gossip and people who like to tell the truth. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And we fall under the ladder.
2: We are gossip activists.
1: Yeah. I mean, and and the thing is, everyone is interested in information, Yeah, right? And that's all gossip is, is information. And I I like to know things Mm -hmm. about people. I do. Doesn't always mean it's going to impact how I act around them or how I feel about them, but I just like to know things. And there's nothing wrong with knowing things. Right. I think people are gossip shamed. You know, I think gossip has this connotation of like, okay, if someone is a gossip or someone that's gossipy, and that means that they're spreading lies and spreading rumors about people, which is wrong, right? But that's wrong, but I don't think it's wrong to receive information and then to talk to a friend about the information that you both received.
2: Also from one gossip activist, I, re- I really do, like I, I, I love uh, celebrity gossip. Like I'm happy to fill Wendy Williams' shoes um, if she passes that baton. But also if people are saying, the same things about you year after year, like it's, you know, not one rumor, but it's it's constant. Mm-hmm. I tend to think, you know, that's coming from someplace. It can't all be lies.
1: Yeah, yeah. If there's if there's enough smoke, there's a good chance that there's some fire there. And and also gossip has like this gender connotation too, where gossip is considered, you know, more of a quote unquote feminine thing to do. But the biggest gossips that I know are cishet men and The thing is, sports is nothing but motherfucking gossip now. Mm -hmm. Trade rumors. You know, this teammate didn't pass this guy the ball. Is he feeling a way about that? All the fucking athletes have podcasts now, and it's filled with nothing but (laughs) gossip. (laughs) Okay. You know, and which is just, you know, interpretations of why someone did this thing or why someone did that thing.
2: Rumors of a trade are gossip. That's just sports gossip.
1: Yeah. And and again, I, I think that we just need to lift the veil. Stop pretending that most people are not interested in gossip. And again, there's no gender, nothing. It's just, this is a thing that people are interested in. It just depends on which type of gossip you're most interested in.
2: What are the boys uh, saying about, about Will and Jada?
1: I think that from what I have seen on the internet, the recent revelation is that, um, and this came from an interview, which Jada Pinkett Smith is doing in anticipation of her upcoming memoir, titled "The Memoirs Worthy," and her and Will have been separated for seven years now.
2: Which was news,
1: and, and that's that's big news. And in the way she framed it, it's not just like a separation. It's like, oh yeah, we're not together.
2: Like they're living separate lives.
1: We're not a marriage in a traditional sense, even though we are technically still married. I think it changes a lot. You know what I mean? Um, all the red table talk, all the memes, all the conversation about
3: entanglements—all
1: mm-hmm. of that is put into different context now because of us now knowing that oh, they haven't even been together. They weren't even like married, right? Or I mean, they're married, but they're not together, right? And so the
2: slap—all that, <laughs> all that—and yes. and and she comes out to say like, you know, it's not even my nigga, like
1: what I'm seeing and I think that, I think it basically comes down to who people like more, Mm. right? So people who maybe like Will a bit more than Jada have, have painted Jada as like this demon devil woman who has just been playing him and playing everyone, you know, for our own celebrity, for our own, you know, nefarious reasons, right? Yeah, And Will is just like some innocent, victim in all of this and then other people are just like actually you know jada has been real since day one she has been real she's been free and niggas just don't like a real and free black woman
3: hmm. mm-hmm.
1: and so the negative reaction she's getting is a product of her just being radically free and radically i don't give a fuck about what y'all niggas think and that you know people feeling that way you know has an effect on people who feel like women should be more concerned about reputation and more concerned about tradition and etiquette and gendered expectations of relationships on mm-hmm. um, relationship roles so but anyway back to the slap <laughs> <laughs> morgan has this new information changed how you felt how you feel what you thought what you think about the slap
2: I think everybody felt the same way. And like, according to uh, Jada's like recent interviews for her like press for the book, um, she said that she thought that the slap was like fake. You know, she thought he was joking until he like started walking back to their seats. And I, I mean, we all thought that. Like, I think we all thought that it was, you know, in some way fake just because. A bit.
1: Yeah, it felt like a bit.
2: Yeah, because it's one, because it's Chris Rock, you know, it's Donkey. And then um, also, it's. <laughs> 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 no, he's about to play like Martin Luther King Jr., which is.
1: It's ludicrous. That's yeah. ludicrous. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm all for artistic expression and stretching, you know, what you're able to do and what you can and can't do as an actor, as an artist, but that's that's ridiculous.
2: That slap is what got him here. He's probably like, you guys owe me because you didn't protect me from Will Smith. You're giving me the role that I need. Um, okay. So the things that she has revealed has been that she thought it was a bit like we all did. And then, too, that like at some point in the past, you know, decade since they've been maybe separated that Chris Rock has hit on her. And Chris Rock has been single, you know, so able to do that. But, you know, so it's kind of giving a lot more context to things. But Mm -hmm. if you're separated and you have been for, you know, the better part of seven years, I don't understand the motivation or energy behind it, because this might be information that's like news to us as the public, I think we all knew that they at least had a, an, an unconventional marriage, but yeah, it might be something that the people, you know, in Hollywood, like who were in this industry already knew. So I wonder if he was like really out of line. I guess I'll have to read the book.
1: It's funny because, again, I do think this information, some of this context kind of does change things a bit in terms of how, how I feel about the slap and how I felt about the slap, etc. And, et cetera. and I, I think that one of my criticisms of Chris Rock that night Was that, you know, all the celebrities there to pick fun at, to make jokes at, to, you know, to say a one-off, you know, hacky line about. Mm-hmm. You choose Jada Pinkett Smith, who might have been the 69th most famous person in that room. You know what I mean? 169th most famous person in that room that night. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like this is low-hanging fruit. Why are you going there?
2: Not really, though. Like in Black households, like Jada Pinkett is a big name. And to have a Black host, it's like, oh, okay, I see you.
1: And Black households. Yeah, but we're, t- we're this wasn't the BT Awards. This was the Oscars.
2: Right. But it's still like, you know, you see your people in the room, you're probably going to shout them out. You're probably going to say something, you know? I don't know. It seemed harmless. (laughs) It seemed harmless. More connotation, you know, I didn't know she had alopecia. So, like, it seemed harmless, right?
1: I didn't know that either. And again, um, this is one of those things where if nothing happened, right, if there was no slap that happened after that, then no one would have thought about that joke ever again. Yeah. Because, again, it was like a one-off G.I. Jane bit that, like, seven people got. Right. (laughs) Right, because, you know, I I can imagine everyone under 30 be like, wait, G.I. Jane, who the, wait, what, what what is he talking about?
2: Mm
3: -hmm. You
1: know, who was watching the show? But because the slap happened, you do go back and you do, like, some sort of forensic, it's almost like watching a Zapruder film, where you're (laughs) just, like, looking at every angle and every reaction and and studying every word and every inflection. And so my feeling about that joke came from that post-slap examination, right? And I'm like, okay, well, maybe you didn't need to say that. There are many other people in our audience who are much more famous than she is that you can go at right there. And so then it becomes, okay, so why? Mm-hmm. Why do you tell this joke? Why does she have your attention out of all these people that are there? And she's not the only Black person there too. Right. You know what I mean? And so knowing now that he asked her out on a date,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know what I mean? That, again, puts things in a different context. And then that puts Will's reaction. And it makes Will look worse. And I never thought Will looked great.
2: I don't think it was more than a date. But, like, you're right. It's a big reaction. Even, like, so for the joke, it's like that was still a big reaction. And even hearing now that uh, he possibly just asked her out. Mm-hmm. Considering what else we know about their marriage and how they have had, like, you know, Jada was dating her son's friend for years. Mm-hmm. You know, so we know that they have like outside things going on in their marriage. Is it that big of a deal to like ask your open partner on a date?
1: And this goes back to the whole likability thing because I, you know, the public, you know, at least in with black people, right? Yeah. Will Smith has gotten, you know, he's the one who has come out like the quote unquote winner. There are winners and losers of all of this. He's the one that people are like, yeah, you should have slapped that nigga. I would have slapped that nigga. And I think a part of that, a big part of that is because people dislike Will Smith more than they like Chris Rock. And I've always felt that way. And I still feel that way.
2: Yeah. He's a big star and he's very likable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think people's relationship with Will Smith is more. Yeah. Will Smith doesn't have a good hair. Right. He doesn't have a history, you know, and by good hair, I mean Chris Rock's documentary about black women in hair, which, you know, if you watch it, it's like, are you, is this a documentary or are you like picking fun?
2: I haven't watched it in so long you that have like to watch I, it again. I remember thinking it was, you know, okay, I guess, when I watched it. Um, mm-hmm. I do need to watch it again with fresh eyes.
1: If you watch it again with like 2023 eyes, it it is much (laughs) different (laughs) than watching it 10 or 15 years ago whenever it dropped. And so, again, you have all of this context where Will is beloved. Chris Rock is famous, but he's not as beloved. And so the public, you know, at least the intro community takeaway from this was that, okay, Will Smith did what he needed to do smacked the shit out of Chris Rock. Chris Rock has been disrespecting Black women forever. This was just him getting his comeuppance finally for that. Mm-hmm. And that was never my takeaway. Like my takeaway was this nigga thought he was telling like a a random throwaway hacky joke and wasn't prepared for that sort of response. And Will obviously felt some sort of way about his manhood and needing to assert his manhood on stage in front of all those people, obviously there was something else happening that night and something else happening before that night, right? That led to that thing. Cause that's not just a thing that you just do. Yeah, That someone like Will Smith just does, you know what I mean? And so does this new information change anything? Yeah, (laughs) yes it does. Yes it does. And again, it doesn't change a lot. Right. To me, but it just, it, again, it just adds more context. Yeah. And it doesn't make Will Smith look better. And and again, I'm not a person, you know, I we started this off by saying that Jada Pinkett Smith is, you know, people feel a way about her. I don't, I don't at all. I think she's just doing what she's doing. She's trying to live life like everyone else. She has a you know, a non-traditional relationship. She just happens to be very famous Mm -hmm. and in a non-traditional relationship, but I don't think that she is any sort of villain, any sort of antagonist. I think this is two men who, you know, are having a fucking pissing contest and, you know, we side it with the one that we love a bit more.
2: I, yeah, I guess my view on it is that, you know, you never know what people's motivations are for, um, you know, why they're still in their marriages. Like, we have our separate asides, like, outside of this, you know, talking about that in the—, the Severity, you know, that comes with, like, getting married. And there's a lot at stake, you know, I'm sure, if they were to get divorced. And, and really, I think a lot of that has to do with, like, their image, because really and truly, like, I think Will would probably be I I think that would be a bad look on his image because we do view him as so wholesome. Um, But then I just think, too, that, like, we have them lumped in together, like, as this family unit. And, um, yeah, I'm sure that they're together for a lot of other reasons besides, like, well, you know, we have kids and, you know, I'm I'm sure that their relationship works more on, like, a business level than romantic.
1: And it's funny, like, you mentioned the wholesomeness. (laughs) If you know what I mean, you nobody yeah, can see that, but it. yeah. <laughs> um, the the wholesomeness is something that has been a part of Will Smith's the image that has been crafted, has been created, and I think that that actually has hurt him as an actor, really. Where you know he's obviously you know a tremendous star, has starred in you know so many you know numerous blockbusters, made tons of money, mm-hmm. whatever. But there's an edge that I feel like he has always been lacking. And there are certain roles that I feel like, you know, if, and again, this maybe wasn't his ambition to be someone who, like a Denzel doing a training day, or even Jamie Foxx doing something like Django, where you you kill all those people. Yeah. You know, and that's a role that Will Smith reportedly turned down.
2: Django, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, and he turned down the Matrix, you know. For um, Wild 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 West. West. Yeah. and Great soundtrack, though. Great song. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not a great song. He had one, one song that we remember. <laughs> uh, Enrique
2: Iglesias had a song that I danced to at many uh, grade school dances that was on that.
1: Anyways. Okay. Sorry. Um, anyway. Um, <laughs> Will Smith has this wholesome image. And, you know, and I guess the marriage was a part of it, you know, the family man, whatever. Yeah. And I feel like, and again, I don't know if these things are even connected. It might even be irresponsible to try to connect them. But I think that maybe like if he, I think the lack of transparency, right? In terms of like, okay, there are some people who have relationships married, you know, people who are in the public eye who are married, but keep their marriages out of the public eye. Yeah. So we don't speculate. I mean, all we can do is speculate on them because they're not giving us nothing. Right. And so for people for people like Will and Jada who are giving us stuff all the time,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know what I mean? I feel like it might've been better for him, not just relationship-wise, but maybe even career-wise too, if he would have given us the actual truth. It, like you're giving us all the shit, so why not just give us the real if you're already going to give all this to us, you know what I mean? Like, why are you going to give us a performance of perfection?
2: What do you think he's supposed to be giving
1: us? I don't know how that looks. Mm-hmm. But we know, <laughs> but we, I, I don't know how that looks. It, yeah. But we know now that the, the, the image that they have been projecting for for at least the last seven years is not completely true. You know what I mean? Because they've been separated for at least seven years.
2: Living separate lives, but still saying it's like not untrue. You know what I mean? Like and and also the thing is, is that there are the, the reality is like, yeah, we talk about like the public image. Like there's just people in that industry that have a certain public image and that is very important to their brand. You know, Taylor Swift, like being one of them, like, you know, there's people like that that just you you don't know a whole lot, but like they're doing what they can to kind of protect that.
1: And I guess what I'm saying, um, and I probably could have made a more elegant way of saying this, is I think that the brand of Will Smith maybe could have been assisted by more transparency Mm -hmm. because this brand, this wholesome brand, whatever, I think doesn't really do him any favors in his career now, but he's not hitlining the blockbusters. He's not in Independence Day and, you know, I am legend and I robot and, you know, all the other movies that made a trillion dollars that he's in. And so he's trying to do the more prestigey things. And we're still looking at him as, Oh, this is wholesome Will Smith. I don't believe you. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't, I don't believe you. And now part of that, you know, some people we could make arguments or whatever about a person's acting chops. But I think that this 30 year long creation of this wholesomeness Mm-hmm. does affect what we see or how we feel about him when we see him on screen. Yeah. Right. And again, I just think that it's it's one of those things that doesn't do him any favors. And, you know, we just mentioned Django and how he was up for that role, and I'm trying to imagine Will Smith as Jay, and I can could see him as Neo. It would be a different movie, but I could see that. I can't see him as Django. Mm-hmm. I can't I, I just can't see him with that edge that Jamie Foxx has. You know what I mean? And how much of that is due to this performance that has gone on for, for decades?
2: Yeah. I think that behind the scenes, they are delicately working to rebrand Will Smith. And I think that's really a lot of the reason why, like, we don't probably hear too much or see too much from him. Like, he kind of lets Jada be, you know, the representative for, I guess, what, you know, their marriage and what's happening. hmm but I guarantee you Red Table Talk is probably going to make its triumphant comeback <laughs> with Will. And they'll probably talk about, you know, like they'll probably talk about that. I just think it's also so shady how she like dropped this news on the heels of the arrest of uh, Tupac's alleged murderer. Um, and uh, also during Will's birthday season, it is Libra season
1: birthday season doesn't fucking matter. That's not a thing. A I don't care. I don't, I don't, I don't like Libra, so I a don't care. A birthday season is not a thing. <laughs> it's a birthday, not a birthday season.
2: You get a whole season. You can get a whole season. It's If it's Capricorn season, like, you feel like you're celebrating all the Capricorn. So it's like, if it's Libra season, like, it's that's your birthday time. I think it's messed up. But I guess.
1: The thing is, though, something like this, something like this interview, this book, Books are in the works years in advance. Yeah, you know what I mean. It takes a long time to lead up for a book, long time to promote a book, and so this is. I'm ninety. Whose idea was it though? Whose idea was it though?
2: Not, but uh, that takes time. But to come out with it and to do your press, that mm, takes. Well, if the
1: book is actually being released, then the press was probably already scheduled. The press was probably already, you know, decided before.
2: Damon, you know, she could have said, she could have said, I don't want this book to come out around my husband's birthday. That's all I'm saying. I don't think anything negative of Jada. I have Virgo placements, too. But I, that's all I'm saying.
1: <laughs> and the thing is, I think you said this earlier, too, is that they have been in cahoots. Like, this is definitely like a team, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, who have, you know, taken great pains to promote a certain image, to release, you know, whatever they release to, to show whatever they show. So there's no doubt in my mind that Will- It's
2: mutually beneficial.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that Will didn't just know about this book release, that he has been there every step of the way and okayed it. Like, they, you don't do a thing like that if you're people like this without at least uh, checking Libras with the other partner.
2: Libras do. Libras <laughs> do. Libras do.
3: <laughs> okay.
2: Somebody will somebody will resonate with that. Um, Libras do, though. They would do that sort of thing and let you know, like, oh, it's okay. You know, and then probably, I mean, that's. I think that's hurtful. I think that's hurtful, regardless of your, your astrological sign. Like, I think that's hurtful. But Libras are always, like, looking for peace. So that's why I'm like, he probably did okay it because he just wants peace. And uh, I don't know what to say about Jada.
1: So to answer the question— <laughs> get back to the question that we were asked. <laughs> yes, the slap. This new information does change things. Now, again, it, it adds more context. Context matters. I like context. I like information. I like knowing things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: As a person who likes to know things, I love Jada Pinkett Smith.
2: That's whose team you're
1: on? I'm on team information. That's whose team I'm on. I'm on team gossip. I'm on team context I'm on team information. Everything else—that's a does not matter to me. I just, I just, <laughs> I just want—I just want to know things. <laughs> I just love new information and love knowing things. So, so boom—that's whose team I'm on. How about you?
2: Uh, you know, I'm team Willow. I really like her music.
1: I, talk about I'm on the side out. of shut, the kids. The like, no, stop it! Stop it! No, no, no! Again. You can't. You can't say I cop that. You, you cannot call me a cop out and then choose <laughs> Willow fucking Smith. No, no, you can't do that.
2: If I'm choosing a better, not cop out answer on a really toxic side, I do have to side with uh, Jada. I don't know anything about their marriage, and so therefore, I just want to say that like what she's done has been okay with them, and. Got it. I'm a a girl's girl. So.
1: I also want to give a quick shout out to uh, Chris Rock's chin. (laughs) That has been the strongest entity throughout this whole thing. Because, again, he got smacked by an in-shape 6'2", 220-pound man who had a head start. And he just took it. He just ate it. Didn't fall. Didn't stump. Barely stumbled. So Chris Rock, you know, could have had a career as a boxer maybe. Doubt it. What did I mean with a chin like that? You gotta be able to take a punch. Jade Chris Rock definitely showed that he could take a punch. <laughs> so yeah, information and in Chris Rock's chin. That's whose team I'm on. Okay. And again, I I'm just not Just nobody team Will. just
2: nobody's on Will's side. Wow. Yeah, I'm not Team Will. Right. I'm, I'm, right.
1: Not, I'm not Team Will Team this. So if I were I would be Team Jada also. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm definitely not Team Will.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you know why? Because he's a Libra. <laughs>
1: Working the producer, thank you um, for coming through. And um, of course,
2: thank you for having me.
1: Sprinkling your astrological insights on this podcast.
2: Someone has to uh, spread the the Libra slander, and yeah. and uh, this today I was nominated. So yeah,
1: and I'll let you go. I'll I'll let you go. Continue your day. Go stare at the stars, and you know, come up with some more shit.
2: <laughs> thank you.
1: All right. Again, just wanna thank Michael Harriet, Morgan, the producer for coming through. Great conversation, great guests, great topic. Um, and also thank you all for, again, joining us again. It could have been anywhere else in the world, but you chose to be here with us, Stuck with David Young. Also, Stuck with David Young is available wherever you get your podcast. but if you're on Spotify, particularly if you're on the Spotify app, there's lots of interaction questions, answers, polling, knock yourself out, you have a lot of fun with that. Also, lastly, if you have any questions about anything whatsoever, hit me up at daredamon at crooked.com. All right, y'all. See you next week. Stuck with Damon Young is hosted by me, Damon Young. From Crooked Media, our executive producers are Kendra James and Madeline Herringer. Our producers are Ryan Wallerson and Morgan Moody. Mixing and Mastering by Sarah Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. Theme music and score by Taka Yasuzawa. And special thanks to Charlotte Landis. And from Spotify, our executive producers are Lauren Silverman, Neil Drumming, and Matt Schultz. Special thanks to Leslie Guam and Crystal Hall-Stressler.